If you have siblings, do you remember any squabbles you had or may still have with one of your siblings? <laughs> we were famous in my family for sibling squabbles, but we were not as bad as these things that I found on social media. Sarah says, I told my little brother that if he ran fast enough, he could pass through the front door. <laughs> he tried it twice. <laughs> and Nainia said, I hid a walkie-talkie in my brother's closet and would whisper stuff to freak him out. <laughs> he ran to our mom crying, but she was in on it. <laughs> Becca said, my sister told me that snot was brain fluid. <laughs> And if I blew my nose, it would be gone. So I was terrified of blowing my nose until I was 10. <laughs> if you're an only child, you may be thinking, thanking the Lord right now. Today we're going to look at siblings. We're in a sermon series entitled Jesus Through the Eyes Of. And we've been looking at how people saw Jesus, who walked around with him, who met him, been trying to see the real man Jesus in his earthly life. Uh, how did people interact with him? How did they process this man who was flesh and blood and so much more? And now we come to a family of siblings. No mention is made, made of their parents, so it is assumed that their parents had passed away. But the three of them were very much a set in the pages of the New Testament. Today we're looking at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. We're in Luke 10, verse 38, and this is where we first meet two of the three. Luke 10, 38. Now, as they went on their way, he, Jesus, entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Now, it would have been normal for Martha to be designated by her men folk, but because no husband or father is mentioned, it's assumed that uh, they have either passed away, maybe she never was married, but Martha is definitely the head of this house because she is the one who welcomed Jesus in. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself as per usual? I think that's what Mary said. Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things, and there is need of only one thing. Martha has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. So there it is. You heard it from the Bible that Jesus is anti-chores. <laughs> Jesus is saying, Martha. Forget about all the chores that come with having guests. They're not important. This is what I see in this passage. Am I right? No. No. I am not right. That's not what's going on in this passage. Let's see uh, if we can pull it apart a bit. The work of hospitality was vital in the New Testament culture. There was no hospitality industry, no safety net for travelers. It was customer, customary when a traveler entered a village, and it was later in the evening or night, 
that someone would offer them their home to stay in for the night and to feed them. And this is how Jesus and his disciples traveled. They sought hospitality in a village. Some villages turned them away. Jesus told his disciples to expect it and what to do, just go on to another village. So let's give Martha props on this one. It was sacrificial hospitality that she was offering. She saw a band of at least 13 men come into town. Sometimes Jesus traveled with more people, but you know, we're just gonna say for now that it was the 12 disciples and Jesus. And you know, that's a whole AYSO soccer team right there, except that there were big men. Martha welcomes Jesus and his friends into her home. And this is the right response to meeting Jesus. Martha represents the many people who played an important role in the early spread of the gospel, offering hospitality to traveling missionaries, enabled the word to take root into a new location. And often the person whose home was first offered became a nucleus of a house church. Kind of Lydia in the, in the Philippians did this. Hospitality was vital to the success of Jesus' ministry. This is the first time Martha and her siblings are mentioned in the New Testament. Had she heard about Jesus? It's likely that she had. Had she met Jesus personally before this? Maybe not. But she saw these 12 tired, dirty men, traveling men, welcomed them into her home and immediately swung into action to prepare a meal for them. So I want you to imagine the work. Okay, so we're talking about 13 people plus the siblings, and who knows how many more. Um, how many of you have put on a spread for a special occasion? Okay? So you don't just open your door. What do you do? What do you do? Got to clean the house. I knew that was going to come from her. Clean the house. Very important. What else? To be hospitable. Go shopping. Go shopping. Nobody else? What? The menu, you have to plan the menu, go shopping for it, clean the house. What else? Very important thing that I always leave for last and never quite gets done. What? Chop the vegetables. Cooking. Well, I don't leave the cooking for last. I leave the, what? Setting the table, all cute and Pinterest-like. Um, I'm conscious of this work whenever I go into someone else's house because everything that is in place had to be moved there by somebody's hands. And um, I, every, somebody had to clean, somebody had to cook, somebody had to set the table. So I feel for Martha, she has her hands full. But she ran into an immediate problem, her sister Mary. It's always a sister, isn't it? until it's the brother. Lazarus, where's Lazarus? He's not mentioned. Maybe he wasn't there, or maybe, this is what I suspect, he's in the living room listening to Jesus, and he was not expected to lift a finger because that was women folk kind of work, slave work. So where is Mary? Well, Martha's bustling around. She's in the living room listening to Jesus. And anyone who does not see this as a problem has never done this sort of work. I cannot roll my eyes enough on you. <laughs> it is a big problem. So Mary go, Martha goes not to Mary, but to Jesus. Did you notice that? Tell her to help me. 
there are many prayers that we pray where we ask God to, to tell somebody something that we want to tell them. Mary wasn't supposed to be at the feet of Jesus anyway, which is the posture of a disciple. She's acting like a man. She's violating a clear social boundary. She's bringing shame upon her house. Teachers didn't have female disciples. It just wasn't done. So Martha feels like she's very much in the right. Jesus, send Mary back to the kitchen where she belongs. Now I feel for Mary. I'm getting just PTSD just looking at that slide. Chores are so awful. Who's with me? Not nearly enough people are with me on that one. Okay, when I was in college, sharing an apartment with two other people, one of whom was my sister, we had an understanding that we would rotate chores every week. So it was the kitchen, the living room, the bathroom, our main common areas. Each of us would take them and then rotate them every week and clean, keep those areas clean. But I noticed every time we rotated, the person I was behind who wasn't my sister, actually was a person whose name was Mary, Mary, had not cleaned at all. So then I was doing her chores plus mine, and it was especially noticeable in the kitchen where the dishes piled up all week, and then I came in on my day, and there they were to be washed. So I called a house meeting, and we wrote out a contract, and put it on the refrigerator, and we had, then we had to sign off for our own chores. We had to push our initials that we had done it. So finally, accountability was going to change the dynamic. I don't know whose idea it was to put a mercy clause in the contract. Because I tell you, it's not mine. It was not my idea. But we decided that if homework was too much that week or we had a big, big paper to do, we would just write mercy instead of our initials. And we would get a pass. When I tell you that the person I was following put mercy every single week, and when I challenged her, she said something about the number seven times 70 comes to my mind, something about the unforgiving, so she started quoting scripture at me. It is very hard to have Christian roommates. So I feel, I feel for Mary. It was not fair to her to make her do all the work. She has right on her side, and she has a mighty force of righteousness behind her in her argument with her sibling. So imagine her shock when Jesus rebukes her. Gently, we can tell because her name is said twice. Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is only one thing, and Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. And with those words, Jesus affirms Mary's radical violation of social rules. Jesus drastically reorients the world, shocks our structures, our systems, changes the male-female divide, which keeps women out of spaces of learning and growth. We are not told if Jesus further confused social expectations by sending the guys to help Martha now. That would have been good. Peter, you're going to have to serve your teacher, so get out there and help Martha. 
Now, I don't know if Peter, Peter? The sons of thunder, James and John, it would do you good to take some orders from Martha. What do you think? I think John, the beloved, would be the one who would willingly go and without a fuss, but we're not told and it probably did not happen because two shocks in that day, we would have known about it, I feel. Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. It's like those paddles which deliver a bolt of electricity. It gets to the heart and it gets the heart working right again. Martha is doing such a good thing but she lost sight of Jesus. She's doing a good thing for Jesus, in service of Jesus, but she's focused on the thing and not Jesus. And notice that Jesus did not condemn the service that Martha was doing for him. He and his friends depended on the type of hospitality that Martha was providing. He only rebuked her for her distractedness, her worrying, her fault finding, and also trying to get somebody else to stop listening to Jesus. Oh, if only the church of Jesus Christ would learn Martha's lesson. How easy it is for us to focus on the thing that we are doing, and we are doing it for the right reasons, sometimes the ultimate reasons to further the gospel and to lose sight of the more important thing, the heart of the matter, Jesus himself. To lose sight of the person before us, who is clearly in the wrong and yet beloved of Jesus. I know I'm guilty of that. And we do this when we focus on people, on things rather than people, and when we uphold society's status quo barriers, which we are blind to because we've gotten accustomed to this, when we insist a person has to be a certain way, dress a certain way, become a certain way in order to come to Jesus, and I, I struggle for examples because our own Martha-ness, of which I'm guilty, we're driven by our belief that we are right, just as Martha was. So Martha presumes to tell Jesus what he should do. Recognize yourselves, people. Mary lets Jesus tell her what she should do. By attending to Jesus' teaching, and laying aside everything else, Mary exemplifies for us how to love God with all our heart, with all our strength and soul and mind. So that's one squabble that the, the sisters have. Now Lazarus is the silent sibling. He plays a pivotal role in Jesus' connection to this family as the dead sibling. And John 11 tells that dramatic story of how the sisters send word to Jesus about Lazarus Lord, the one whom you love, they say to him, is very, very ill. We need you to come and heal him. And Jesus delays on purpose, even though he loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, the Bible says. He delays arriving after Lazarus had been buried for four days. And Martha comes out to talk to him alone about the uh, heavy, deep, faith-filled conversation about the resurrection. And some of Jesus' most famous words are said to her alone in John 11:25, I am the resurrection and the life. There was an audience of one for those words, and it was Martha. And then Jesus asks her if she believes this, and Martha's confession of faith is as strong as the disciple Peter's in verse 27, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. Martha goes back into the house. Mary comes out to meet Jesus. She knelt at his feet. 
knelt at his feet, weeping. Again, this is Mary's posture. Every time we see Mary in the, in the Bible, she is at Jesus' feet. That tells you something about her. Jesus goes to the tomb and calls Lazarus out of the dark, dark tomb, into the light of day, out of death, into life. And Lazarus never says one word in scripture. But the miracle that Jesus performed by bringing him back to life provides one of the most impactful signs of who Jesus really is. What is the silent Lazarus's gift to us? It's prompt obedience, I think. At the tomb, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out, and Lazarus obeyed. And I don't think he necessarily had to. It's not, the, oh, because I had this experience, it's not the same thing. I know it's not the same thing at all. But when I had my open heart surgery in the recovery room, I did not want to come back. I was comfy, deliciously pain-free, and the nurses were trying to wake me up after the surgery, and their voices were faint, negligible. They didn't even create a ripple in my consciousness. I didn't want to come back. But then Robert said, Connie, wake up, open your eyes. And I knew that voice. That was the voice of my beloved, and I obeyed him. Lazarus obeyed Jesus', Jesus command and came back to a world of pain. If I was in heaven, mm -mm, I would never come back. He came back to a world of pain, and because of it, he had a target put on his back. The religious authorities planned to kill him for being resurrected because him walking and moving around telling them, look what Jesus did to me, you know, just pointed too much to Jesus. He was a witness to the resurrection power of Jesus. Tradition has it that the persecution of these three siblings was so severe it didn't stop after Jesus' death and resurrection. They had to flee Bethany. Some sources have them settling in Cyprus. Some sources have them settling in France. One source says that Mary and John the disciple went to promote the gospel in Ephesus for a period of time, but they did not die in Bethany. Their lives were upended. Does, did Lazarus, you think, ever regret coming back? to a world of pain, he obeyed the voice of his savior. If Jesus loved the siblings, there's no question that they in return loved him fully. And the last mention of this family is in John chapter 12. Six days before Jesus was arrested, he came to a dinner prepared for him in Lazarus' home. This was a thank you banquet, I think, for raising him from the dead. Lazarus was at the table eating. Okay, now we know Lazarus is over there eating with Jesus and the others. Martha, what was Martha doing? She was in the kitchen. She was serving, scripture tells us. So that's to be expected. And where was Mary? Where did I tell you Mary was going to be? At the feet of Jesus. Mary, the learner, the disciple, the worshiper, Verse 3 of chapter 12, took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard. Now, whatever your yearly income is, that's what that perfume costs, a year's worth of money. 
anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them, his feet, with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Scandalous Mary, again not caring what people thought or said, again at Jesus' feet every time, wasting this expensive perfume on him, and worse, wiping, she had to take her hair out and wipe his feet with her hair. That's a huge societal no-no, a shocking, a distasteful display, but Mary didn't care what it looked like to other people. They, of course, said, what a waste, what are you doing? But she only cared about Jesus. And he said in verse 7, leave her alone. She bought that expensive perfume. She bought it so she might keep it for the day of my burial. Well, she wasted it that day. Now, at this point, Jesus has been walking around telling his disciples he's going to die. And then he's going to be raised again. And when the time came, it seemed to catch his disciples off guard like this is the first we're hearing about death. Like, what, what is happening? As if they didn't hear it from Jesus' lips. It didn't fit into their messianic worldview, or they loved the land of denial, my favorite land too. But one disciple, one learner, had been listening hard. And Mary seems to be the only one who was sensitive to the impending death of Jesus and who was willing to give him an expensive, material expression of her love of him. Mary's gift to us is extravagant worship. Again, people say that what she is doing is wrong. Again, Jesus defends her. Leave her alone. She anointed me for my burial. Let her be. So we have Mary's sacrificial acts of hospitality for Jesus that teach us about welcoming Jesus in, serving Jesus. That is her gift to us. We have Lazarus obeying the voice of his Lord, doing exactly what Jesus ordered him to do. Obedience is his gift to us. And Mary's extravagant worship teaches us that Jesus is worth everything. In their own, and each of them had a different way of gifting Jesus. Do you see that? In their own way, these three siblings, siblings teach us how to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, holding nothing back. Now the kids are downstairs. They are learning about loving the Lord with everything you have. Where's that other... Um, Microphone. I'm going to come down there. Okay. They have, can, can you hear me? Okay, good. They have a big uh, jar like this. And each of them has a bunch of candy. And they are, they, the candy is a sign of value. Okay, here, open that for me. The candy is a sign of value. And when they roll that number, they can put that into the jar, and they're supposed to put all their candy in the jar to sort of signify giving something up and putting everything, uh, putting all, giving Jesus all your love, all your strength, all your, all your soul, all your spirit, everything, right? And the person who is leading it, Janelle, is watching to see if somebody opens a candy and eats it, you know, instead of putting it all in for Jesus. And uh, that's going to be their lesson. We hope it's a lesson they don't forget. But I wanted something tactile for us. So each of you should have a heart. 
And if you don't, uh, can you come up here to the front? I don't think people in the front have. Who doesn't have a heart? Oh, well, George's heart is several sizes too small. You do have one, but... I'm giving you each a heart because I want you to have the opportunity to do something with your hands that you will remember, kind of like we're doing with the kids. Something that uh, tactile that maybe you'll remember. Um, some act of devotion to the Lord. We don't have expensive perfume here. And then whose feet would we anoint anyway? So there's a problem there. But we, if there's something that we have that we want to give to Jesus, um, that's what I wanted you to have a chance around our communion table. I'm going to ask our deacons for communion to come and join me. You may have a gift of service that you want to give to Jesus, a gift of obedience, a gift of hospitality that you might want to give, or the gift of yourself, the gift of yourself to Jesus for the first time or for the umpteenth time. We have to do this many times over the course of our life with Jesus. Give him back the gift of ourselves. So um, come over here, Marianne. I want to give you that opportunity. So can we um, close our eyes now and just bow our heads and be in a time of um, amazement and wonder at Jesus. He invites us to his table. He gave everything for us. He gave his body. He gave his blood. He died for us. He was raised for us. He gave everything for us. And he calls us his beloved. Can you hear his voice calling you his beloved? And then if you want to, you can, in the next moment of silence, just come and put your heart. You can write something on it if you want, or just put your heart in the jar to respond and it has to mean that you are giving Jesus something. So I invite you to this moment of silence and then of response. Jesus knows our heart. Lord, we give you our heart, we give you our soul, we want to live for you alone. And thank you for your great gift to us. You're everything for us.